Again, I'd like to pray one more time and ask that you uh, just mentally join me in prayer as uh, we're getting ready to open up uh, the book of Acts. Heavenly Father, God, I do just thank you for this day, and Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, I just pray now as we look into your word, God, I ask that you would give direction and wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me, Lord, as I'm speaking, Lord, not just to share my own thoughts or ideas, but Lord, I pray that uh, you would guide me into um, words of truth. Lord, I pray for all in this room that you would open up their hearts and be ready to hear what you might have for them today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so uh, let me just start by saying I've been mentioning that the story was building somewhere, okay? And last week was kind of the, the pinnacle of that build, right? So let's think about what's happened. Okay, in fact, let me just, I'll just put you on the spot. Why don't you guys tell me, think, think way back to the beginning of Acts. What was one, one of the first things that happened in Acts? Feel free to open up your Bibles and look in chapter 1 and remind yourself. You'd, that's not cheating, okay? Um, what, what's one, what's, just, just tell me some of the first things that happened when we first started the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah, so we've got, um, well, actually, let, let me go back. That's, that's great, but right before that, Jesus left, right? Yeah, the ascension. So Jesus leaves. He tells them the Spirit's going to come. Then the Spirit comes. Peter, the apostles, filled with the Spirit, preach. And then we start to see something happening. On the one hand, we see a lot of people believing. On the other hand, you start to see some opposition. Have you noticed that as we've studied Acts? There's some, some reception and some opposition. And it tends to get kind of more drastic. There's lots of people believing. First, they're giving us numbers. You know, this many thousand, this many thousand. Then it just says multitudes. Then it's also on the other end of it, it's kind of like this pendulum is going back and forth. There's reception and opposition and then bigger reception and then bigger opposition. First, they're arrested and just given a stern talking to. Don't talk about Jesus. Is that what happened the second time? Second time, stern talking to, but then something else. I mean, they're about ready to kill him. They don't kill him. They beat them, send them on their way. The apostles leave rejoicing. There's more reception. And then last week, something happened, right? Brought to a whole new level with Stephen. How did Stephen's story end? ended with, and I still have my rocks up here, please don't make fun of me for stacking them up. I don't know why I did that. I'm not trying to make some point. <laughs> um, but uh, you remember that last week? Imagine them at some point so furious. Uh, the Bible actually says they were grinding their teeth at Stephen until eventually you just see this crowd just begin to pick up those stones. The final straw was when Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and it just kill him. And so this is how the story's been building. And you can see Luke as a writer, he's helping us to visualize that by, by reception, opposition, reception, opposition, reception, and then death. Stephen, the first martyr for the cause of Christ, for the church. That's where we've been. 
I think what we're going to do today, we're going to read this next little summary. And if you guys have been following with me in Acts, you know that there's a story, then there's a little summary, then there's a story, then there's a little summary. We're in a little summary today at the beginning of chapter 8. And uh, it's going to start off with very, the very first verse here of chapter 8, where it says, Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen's. And is this Saul? Who's this guy? Those of you that know your Bibles know who this Saul is. Is this the only time we get to hear about him? We just heard about him in the, at Stephen's stoning. People were laying their coats down at his feet. And just in case you were wondering what that meant, Luke makes us aware Saul was approving of it. Possibly the ringleader of what's happening. So who is this Saul? Do you guys know? Paul, right? Eventually this, this is going to be Paul, but right, this is the first mention of him. What a, what a drastic change that's going to be. But this is where we first meet Saul, who's eventually called Paul. And it says, the rest of that verse, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. It says, the same day, on that day, may not necessarily mean the exact same day, but right at that time, this is, that was kind of like the, the, the strike, the starting point for this great persecution that is now happening in Jerusalem and Judea. And it says that the, all of these people were scattered. Now it says, specifically, the apostles weren't scattered with the rest. That's kind of unusual. I think one of the reasons might be because the apostles, if you remember back just a couple chapters ago, there was even a time where they were going to arrest the apostles, but they didn't want to do it openly because they were afraid of the people. And so the apostles, at least at this point, have such high esteem with the people that they're they're not necessarily driving them out. They're not persecuting them. Now, they've had this beating, but they're kind of keeping their hands off because at least to some degree, they're nervous about doing too much against the apostles because how will the people, the populace, respond? And the apostles are doing all these wonderful things. If they do something directly to them, how might they respond? So instead, what happens? They begin persecuting everybody else. I think also this may have been, and, and you just tell me if this makes any sense. I have nothing to back this up, just, just my thought. This could have been also in some way uh, a press upon the apostles. Can you imagine as the apostles, uh, it was one thing to be beaten yourself, but then to have people that have come to you and believed in the words that you've taught, to, have, to watch them being persecuted? Can you imagine how the apostles would have handled that? That would have been tough, wouldn't it? And so I think that in some sense... Um, I mean, you just imagine these, these, the, the wickedness of these people that are doing this to say, well, if you won't stop if we beat you, let's see what happens when we start beating your people. Maybe it'll shut up then. But here we have the people scatter. Uh, in my mind, for some reason, I picture it like you have a fire that's, you know, the embers are going. Have you ever stamped a fire out? Right, and you see some of those little sparks go, but... You're stamping it out. I have a feeling that's what Saul is thinking he's doing. Let's stamp this out. Let's crush it. Destroy it. Verse 2 says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Sort of a side note regarding Stephen. And then it's going to go right back to Saul and the church. It's almost like saying the church was mourning. And it's, it's not as if Saul and the rest of these ones that are inflicting this persecution. It's not like they go, well, give them time to mourn and then we'll pick this back up. It's almost to say, they wouldn't let up. You know, can't you give us a minute to mourn, 
Stephen just, no, right in the middle of it, persecution starts. So it goes to verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. That word ravaging can mean corrupting, destroying. It's like he's trying to wipe it out. Entering house after house, or you could say house church after house church. is probably places where believers had gotten together to meet or to pray. And, and Saul, with his group of uh, whoever he's got working for him, soldiers possibly, or, or uh, the security guards from the temple, right? These guys have come with him, and they're, they're barging into these houses. They're grabbing people. And it makes a point of saying he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So it's not just the guy. He, has no, he didn't care. Man, woman, you're going. You're worshiping Jesus. You're going to prison. Saul doesn't care. But then it says this, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is interesting. I don't think that was Saul's intent. And then I go back to that mental picture of the stamping of the fire, right? Stamping it out. Remember, little sparks going. I think that's exactly what happened. Boom, sparks. I don't think Saul was intending this at all, this consequence at all. He was thinking, stamp it out. And what, what's he done? Scattered it. Spread it. It's, it's, it's super interesting, this word preaching, it's translated preaching here. This same word, it's, it's, it's the word evangelizing. I mean, if you look at the Greek word, it looks like the word evangelize. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about. And it's also translated, sometimes it's just translated tell. Sometimes it's translated announce. Occasionally, this word is just translated bring. This is not hardly ever, in fact, I don't think hardly ever at all, is this word ever used to refer to a formal sermon being preached. This is just people. In fact, where are the apostles at? Are they in this scattering? No, they're still in Jerusalem. So the scattering is just the people have scattered. And what are they doing? Are they shutting up? No, they're just talking about it. Talking about Jesus. The gospel is spreading. How's it happening? We're just talking, just sharing. We're bringing it with us. So we've left Jerusalem. Now we're headed to uh, these other places. Specifically, we're going to hear Samaria and these regular people. They go to Samaria, and what have they brought with them? The good news. And what do they do? They hide it under a bushel? No. What do they do? They start sharing it, talking about it. Maybe in the market. Maybe with the, the new place where they found to stay, and they're, they're sharing. You know, we just came from Jerusalem, and did you? I know that you've probably heard about Jesus, because he's been all around. You've probably heard about Jesus, but did you know... When he was crucified, there was actually purpose to that. And that's the really good news. Not just what he was doing before. Really? Well, how, did that, how does that work? Because I thought the Messiah. Well, the Messiah, yeah, absolutely. But did you know that why Jesus came was to, to die for our sins? Oh, that. And then maybe these people are thinking, well, think back to the Old Testament, the, the suffering Savior. It's making sense. And so, well, what about all the times where he's going to be the conqueror? Well, he's coming back. This is step one. Amazing. So the gospel spreads. And it spreads. And it spreads. It's scattered, but it spreads. We get to uh, hear of one specific person. Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. This proclamation is a little bit more outspoken. But this is not the Philip that was uh, one of the disciples. This is Philip. We, we, did, we were introduced to him just not that long ago uh, among the seven. 
right? So of those seven that were chosen to be servants ministering, right? Just regular guys, not the apostles, not the pastors, so to speak, but just regular guys, servants in the church to serve the church and to serve the people. There were seven guys that were chosen. Stephen was the first one. We just learned something about Stephen. Here's one of the second of those seven that's mentioned. Philip. Later on in the book of Acts, Philip is called Philip the Evangelist. Philip did what? He's a regular guy in the church, but what does he do? He goes and he evangelizes. He proclaims, he tells, he talks, he announces, he shares, he brings with him wherever he goes the good news. And where did he go? Samaria. It says uh, he went down to the city of Samaria. It's funny because we were just talking about this in Sunday school today. For the Jews, because Jerusalem was up kind of on a mountain, uh, no matter which way you went was down. You know, we think down like south, but for them, uh, Samaria was actually north of Jerusalem, but they would say we went down to Samaria or we went down to Egypt. The other way, either way you go, you're going down because Jerusalem's up here. And so for them, they would say we, we went down. And so they've, they've left Jerusalem and they've gone into Samaria. That's interesting as well, because didn't Jesus at the beginning say something about, didn't he mention Samaria? I think he did, didn't he? Then he say, uh, after the Spirit comes, you're going to take this gospel, this good news, to Jerusalem and Judea. And then what's the very next place he mentions? Samaria. Interesting. As far as, as, far as we know, the gospel hadn't made it there yet. But this, this stamping out of the, the church, so to speak, in turn, turns into a scattering of the gospel, specifically to exactly where God said you ought to be going anyway. Now we get, a, um, it says here, it says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So Philip's sharing the gospel. Crowds are paying attention. They're clinging to his words. They're listening to him. And Philip's message is miraculously evidenced. We get a few more details here in verse 7. It says, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And we know it's not always like this. But definitely at the first stages of church growth, God is evidencing uh, the, the message with miraculous events to make sure everybody understood this is the real deal. Verse 8, so much, or so there was much joy in that city of Samaria. Now, I'd like to ask, as I was going through this, I was thinking, what, what lessons can we, what, what can we pull from this? I think there's a few lessons that we can pull from this. And the first one is this. And before I put it up on the screen, because I'm going to give a long version, then I'll condense it for you, okay? I thought about putting the long version up there, but then I was afraid Nora would be trying to get the whole thing down. And I thought, I'll just, I won't put it up. I'll just wait. I'll put the condensed. Lesson number one. I guess we could put it this way, the long version. Um, I'll say it nice and slow. Seeming detriments. You guys know what detriments are? Things working against. Seeming detriments to the spread of the gospel might be God's sovereignty actually spreading the gospel. Does that make sense? Things that might seem like a detriment to... Like, I mean, can you imagine how they would have felt like oh, the gospel's growing, the church is growing in Jerusalem, thousands of people have come to believe, and then suddenly there's all this persecution, and you may have, as a church member of that church, you may have thought, this is going to destroy the spread of the gospel. This, the, the, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? How are we going to handle it? But... The, the thing that seemed like it might be the very thing to destroy the spread of the gospel actually turns into spreading the gospel. In fact, I believe absolutely that God's sovereign hand
hand was at work in this persecution because they were supposed to be going to Samaria anyway. And it's almost like God said, it's going to go. It's going to go. And the way that God orchestrates, and I use the word orchestrate carefully, right? You think about an orchestra, everything's working together. And, and, And here you have God orchestrating the spread of the gospel into Samaria. God did that. But Saul did it. But we know God did it. Through persecution, hardship. But what does God do? He turns it into the spread. Jerusalem, Judea, we're hitting this. Samaria. Let me put it, the condensed version up for you. <clears throat> Gospel opposition might really be... Oh, it didn't go. There we go. Gospel opposition might really be Gospel opportunity. Do you think we could look at things this way? Do you think we could even today? I think we should. Things that might seem like opposition to the gospel, things that might seem like opposition to you being a Christian in your workplace, things that might seem like opposition. Maybe it's an an obstinate person, right, in your workplace, and they don't like the fact that you're a Christian and you're talking about things that have to do with God. Could we not do the same thing? Instead of getting all frustrated, isn't that what we do sometimes? You guy's a jerk. God, I wish you'd take him out. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe if we looked at things this way, we might see we can look back through history and we can say, this is how God works quite often. And this is just one example of many where, where God uses something that seems like opposition and it's actually opportunity for the gospel to be spread. Can you imagine how we would respond if we thought about things like this all the time? It seems like opposition. Instead of getting upset, how would we, what would we be doing? We'd be going, okay, opportunity's knocking. What's it going to be? Can you imagine the, the change in attitude that it might have? I, I, I want to theorize that that's probably what was going on with these people. Because as they go and they're spreading this gospel message, they, they were coming from persecution, but their message was still gospel, which means good news. They're, they're proclaiming it and talking about it, and, and it ends with the, the, this whole city that hears about it being full of joy. You think that these people are seeing this opposition as opportunity? I absolutely think so. In fact, I think this principle could be stretched just a little bit. This is talking about opposition, but I think we could also put it this way. Personal setbacks might turn into gospel situations. I tried to do the two same letter thing, you know, setback situation. Pastors are supposed to do that. I don't know why. Uh, so, but, but I think, I think that there's something to this. You ever have any setbacks in your life? You think life is going exactly the way it ought to go and then something happens? <laughs> wow. Yes, definitely, right over here, setback. Anybody else ever have setbacks in life? Oh, yeah. I, I, I see all of you doing this right now, going, mm-hmm. Lucinda was like, <laughs> you can call it that. I think my setback washed away. But, but we all know what this is like. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a loss of a job, whether it's for good reasons or bad reasons. Maybe it's a change of where you're going to live. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a loss of a friend or a family member through death. We, we just have no idea. I was thinking about uh, Billy and Dale when I was thinking about this today. I thought, you know, th- th- this, this 
setback of life. It's just such a detrimental thing when you lose someone that you love. But Christians begin to see life differently. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked with somebody or, or you know, heard somebody say you know, at, at a funeral service, they go, you know, the person was a Christian or they weren't a Christian. It didn't even matter. People that are Christians that are going, they go, it's an opportunity. Share the gospel. It's an opportunity to, to, to share what's the good news of Jesus. Christians begin, and I think you ought to and I ought to always be thinking differently about what's going on in your life. I mean, just think differently about it. And so this bad thing happens. Instead of going, oh, this is bad, go, opportunity. What's going to happen? God's going to do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm getting kind of excited. Let me just ask you, would that drastically change your attitude on life if you looked at it this way? Yeah. And how often do we end up missing what, what God is doing because we're so frustrated by the setback or the opposition? Personal setbacks. We need, to, we need to take a step back and say, could these things not be God's sovereign hand orchestrating, working the spread of the gospel? You may find yourself in situations that you never would have decided to be in, meeting people that you never would have crossed paths with because of some tragedy or, or event or whatever it is. Suddenly you find yourself talking to somebody that you never, probably never would have met outside of this, and suddenly you're talking to them and, and it happens. They mention this one little thing and in your brain it clicks. You're like, opportunity. I think my encouragement today to start off this, less, this first lesson here is to really just have your eyes open to everything that's going on. And even if you got somebody like Saul who clearly is, I think I could say, hell-bent on destroying the church. Maybe you have some people that aren't, aren't probably aren't as destructive as Paul or Saul is at this point. I mean, we've met some opposition-type people, but I don't think we've met anything like that. And the anger, and the rage. I don't think most of us have experienced quite that degree to see someone stoned to death, to see people dragged out just for being a Christian and thrown into prison. I don't think we've seen that. And so whatever it is that you're going through, no matter how obstinate this person is in your life that you've met, maybe you could stop and take a step back and go, maybe this is gospel opportunity. In fact, I think I should get rid of the word maybe. This must be gospel opportunity. So whatever you're going through, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, or wet, that was for Lucinda. Look for those opportunities to share the gospel. Look for those chances to just be a light. Assume that these situations are situations that God has orchestrated for the purpose of bringing the good news to others. Lesson two. I want to come back to the fact that it wasn't the apostles that were going. It was regular people. It wasn't the apostles who were the first to bring the gospel to Samaria. Now, who, who said, wasn't it Jesus that said, Take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Who was he talking to? The apostles. They hadn't done it yet. It wasn't the apostles. They weren't the first ones. It was just regular, average, ordinary people.
people. Just the people. We only have one name, Philip. He was just a servant in the church. But his regular people. Let's think about these Samaritans for a minute. The Samaritans had their own form of the law. They had their own place of worship. They, 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 they were constantly, there's constant friction between them and the Jews. In fact, you see that as you read the Gospels, times where Jesus, he, Jesus had some small measure of ministry, like there was a time he went through and he talked to the woman at the well that happened in Samaria. There's a time where we hear about him healing a Samaritan leper. Right? There's some little stories like this that go on. But for the most part, you, you see the disciples. They, in fact, when they would travel from the north to the south, a lot of people know this, instead of going right through Samaria to get to Jerusalem, many times they would go around. They wanted to avoid those people at all costs. And yet this is part of God's gospel plan is to take the gospel to the Samaritans. Jesus is telling them to do this. They haven't done it yet. The next couple of stories we hear is about the gospel spreading even more in Samaria. That's what we're going to read next. And as we study in Acts, we're going to find that this is, what did Jesus say? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to what? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to read Acts, and that's exactly what's going to happen next. Jerusalem, Judea, now we're in Samaria, and the gospel is just going to go like that. But I think it's important to keep in mind, and I'm going to put it this way, regular people spread the gospel in regular ways. Remember I said that word... uh, Preach the gospel, preaching the, the message. That same word is sometimes translated in nouns. Sometimes it's just tell. Sometimes it's just bring. Regular people spread the gospel in regular ways. You could do this when you're at work, when you're with family, when you're with your neighbor across the fence. When you're meeting with the insurance guy that's trying to assess the damage on your trailer. I'm just going to keep using Lucinda now. Every single thing that goes... Regular people. And it's so significant that it was not the apostles. My mind is so significant that it was not the apostles. They didn't decide, we need to send some people up to Samaria. This first outreach of the gospel is just regular, ordinary people just doing regular, ordinary things. And I, I absolutely believe that they were in the markets talking about it. They were... You know, sharing it with the, the people that they're meeting. We just got bumped out of Jerusalem. We had to flee because they were persecuting. What were they persecuting for? Well, this is what was going on. Well, why? You know, what, what's the big deal to you? Well, this is what the big deal is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what he's brought. <clears throat> regular people, regular ways. Now, I mentioned those Samaritans a minute ago. I was talking about this. You know, we hear the word a lot of times when we think something good, right? You think good Samaritan. Anybody ever heard the good Samaritan? Um, we actually got that phrase from a parable that Jesus told. I think we forget how outrageous it is, this, this sense between these people. You, you guys know the story of the good Samaritan that Jesus told? You heard, heard it before? It's been a while. Uh, this morning we were in Sunday school, and the, part of the video was showing the road from... Uh, um, Jericho to Jerusalem. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus tells this parable, he says, there's a guy on his way on the road to Jericho. And we got to see pictures of what that looked like today. And it's rough. It's rough terrain. Little tiny paths. Well, So Jesus tells a story about this man who's going on his way to Jericho and he gets robbed, beaten, left, and it says half dead on the side of the road. So imagine Jesus' listeners hearing this story. Okay, so they're hearing this story, the Good Samaritan. And they didn't know it as the Good Samaritan at the time, right? So I'm saying that, but that's not how they thought of it. And so then you see this guy laying on the side of the road. And the first person that walks along is a priest. He's not the hero of the story. He just keeps walking. 
Then a Levite, part of that priestly tribe. He's not the hero. He keeps walking. Jesus tells a story, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan. That would have been outrageous to them. That would have been ridiculous to them. And especially coming from Jesus as a Jew to make the hero of the story, the Samaritan, who he's the one that decides to stop. He's the one that helps this guy. He's the one that puts him up in this inn and and pays to have him taken care of. Now, Jesus goes an extra step at the beginning of Acts. He says, take the gospel to Samaria. And God is working it out. So it does, in fact, make it into Samaria. I don't think that I know for sure, but it must not have been high on the apostles' priority list. That could have been for good reasons or bad. I think it was high on God's priority list. And so I want to put this point up. The gospel, and I italicize really, gospel really is for everyone. So we hear about it going to Samaria, it's not that big of a deal to us. But for them, it would have been huge. Go to Samaria. And then God works it out and brings the gospel to Samaria. You know, I was thinking this morning, why did this work? Okay. I was thinking about this. Why did this work? Why did the bringing of the gospel? And there could be some aspect of the fact that Philip came and he was doing works. I think there could be part of that. But what you see when you see the spread of the gospel, you see it primarily hitting the outcasts like the Samaritans as a whole. And they're receiving it. The poor. I've got to be honest here. On one hand, I can see why. This may sound too blunt, and I apologize. On one hand, I see why. They were getting something out of it. We struggle with that. There's people who have come to church, and I think primarily to get something. We've all had possibly family members. Seems like every time they're around, that's what they want. They want something. So on one hand, I go, I, I can see why maybe this was, because if the, the gospel's being spread and they're offering healing, but understand this, as this is being spread, it's not just those things. In fact, what do you, what's also happening with these people? What just happened in Jerusalem? Saul is doing what? Ravaging the church. You've got to understand that when you hear about the gospel spreading, that that as these people are receiving it and accepting it, and we read in that verse 8, with joy, the whole city was full of joy, that they're not just accepting it for things that they might be getting out of it. Those are, those, in fact, a lot of those things are, are such small things. Yes, I'm healed, but now I have to go to work. Before I was able as a, a, you know, to, to beg, now I'm, I'm healed. I mean, this would have meant something beyond just that. Of course they're going to rejoice. Of course they're going to rejoice the, the healings and the being released from these the demonic oppression. Of course they're going to rejoice over that. But it didn't end there. Now they have to go on and live life. And they're still full of joy. Why? Just because they'd been healed? I don't think so. I think it's because they were hearing the gospel, the real gospel message. They were hearing it and realizing that what Jesus was bringing was much bigger than the fact that now this guy can walk or now this person is been freed from this. They were hearing the gospel message realizing something bigger. Free from sin. Free from the condemnation of sin. And in fact, even if I, in fact, we're going to see as the gospel continues to spread that these types of miraculous things don't keep happening quite the same degree. But people keep, keep believing. Why? Why was this working? Because they were hearing the gospel message and realizing it was bigger 
than just what I might get out of it today. We're hearing the gospel message and realizing the, the great, true freedom that Jesus was bringing through his death on the cross. They were believing it, hearing it. I've been working out how to end this time. I've been thinking about it all morning. Same about it yesterday. How do I end this? I think as we leave this thought and we leave this, this message with these lessons of, hey, first of all, um, you know, not just that the, the, the gospel is shared by regular people in regular ways, but we, we think back through each one of these things that we've talked about today and we think about how the gospel spreads and how God's hand is working through opposition into opportunity. We just think about all these things. I want to encourage you with this. You're going to leave today, right? You're going to go home. Now, most of you might nap the rest of the day, but a lot of you are going to right, get up tomorrow and you're going to interact with the world. This church will grow, the gospel will spread, not because of me or John. Gospel sharing, gospel spreading happens when regular people just go out and suddenly... The primary thing in their life isn't the fact that they're this type of employee or this person. This, the, primary, the, the thing that just rides above everything else is, I'm a Christian. And I know the good news. And I want to share it. So even if you get bumped out of this or bumped out of this, that ceases to be, be your identity. And what's your identity is, I'm a Christian. That's the primary thing. And so I want to encourage you, you go out and you, through this week. Now, as a pastor, I can say these things, but understand, remember, I also have a full-time job. So I know exactly what this is like. When I, when I leave here, I don't go into my workplace thinking about it. I'm not going to DHS as a pastor, am I? I'm going there as a teacher. So the same thing. I, I'm doing the same thing. What I'm telling you, I have to do the same thing. I go there and I'm thinking, what opportunities might present themselves today? What, what chances to share the gospel? Because primarily, I'm not a pastor or a teacher. Primarily, I'm a Christian. Just like you. And we leave here and we go and we share the gospel. We just, just have it overflowing. Sometimes it's just through attitude. You'd be amazed at what kind of impact you might have because when something happens and you're, you're looking at things differently like we were talking about a minute ago, and instead of going, oh man, this is horrible, just going, you know, this is opportunity. I'm okay. I'm in God's hands. He orchestrates everything and I have to say it always works out absolutely for the best in the end. What have I possibly got to get upset about? And people look at you and they go, you're nuts. And you can do, then you can do little silly things like say, yeah, I'm crazy for Jesus. You know, <laughs> whatever you need to do to start that conversation. To let them know, why, why are you full of joy? Why wouldn't I be? I know no matter what happens in this life, God's always in control. Always in control. I know that when I die, I go to heaven for eternity. What, what have I got to gripe about? What have I got to complain about? Let that spill over because I guarantee you, when you start acting and living that way, you're going to have people going, tell me more about this. I think sometimes we need to bring the good back into the good news. Or maybe remind ourselves it is actually good news. Well, I want to close in prayer, and I want to pray that God will take with it, take 
take with you as you leave this place this good news. So when you go out, whatever it is that you're going to do, you're going to have opportunity this week. You might have some opposition this week, but you know what it really is. Opportunity. You might have a setback this week. You know what it really is, though. What's it going to be? Gospel situation. And God may use you and me this week. There may be somebody out there in this, in this city, in the surrounding area. There's going to be somebody that could be this week, somebody out there that doesn't know the gospel and hasn't believed it, that God may be bringing you, and he's, going to, he's orchestrating it. You're on a collision course with this person. And God is going to use you to present the gospel. You, you may fumble through the words and stumble over how to say it, but it may be the exact right thing at the exact right moment that God has orchestrated to share the gospel with this person. And they may just go, the light bulb goes on, the spirit enters. They believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Lord, I thank you for this story, Lord, uh, the, the mix of tragedy with Stephen, the mix of hardship with this persecution, Lord, also this ending of a whole city being in joy. Lord, and they're full of joy because the, the people that have come to them have come from persecution and they're rejoicing in the good news of the gospel. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to keep these things in mind and Lord, be gospel messengers this week, looking at every obstacle as an opportunity. Lord, I pray that you'd just fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we may take this with us through the week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.